Good morning and welcome to Coffee with the Sarlows. I'm Kelly. Good morning, I'm Karen. We're going to start off with show notes today as usual. We have our evening with medium events coming up on December 13th. It's 100% sold out because all of you lovely people bought tickets. Um, our 2020 dates will be out in time for Christmas, so stay tuned for those dates. We have a second podcast series called Sips of Sanity. It is available, well, the first show is available on the website by sarlo.com and there are four additional shows each month that go with that one that are on patreon.com. Correct? Yes. Okay. And those shows are full of tools for emotional and spiritual intelligence. Good. Okay. And last but not least, we have our personal practices. So if you're looking for sessions with Karen or myself, you can contact us via email, telephone, or submit a form through the website. Ready? Yeah. Oh, and they can be done anywhere in the world via Skype, FaceTime, or telephone. You don't have to be here in person. It's just as efficient and just as effective. Mm -hmm. Okay. So on to today's show. Okay. All right. Um, This is a client story. And I like the way we start by prefacing client stories versus our own stuff. I just realized that. We, have, we do have a little bit of routine, eh? You do. I do? Okay. Um, this is a client story. This, is done, this session was done by Zoom. And this is a person in Munich, Germany. Very cool. Good for you. This, oh, thank you. Yeah. This is a, a young man. So if anybody doesn't know what Zoom is, it's similar to FaceTime and Skype, meaning we can see each other as we're talking to each other, just in case. Okay. So we have a young gentleman calling in and, uh, well, connecting. And the first thing that he says to me is, can you just tell me what my soul contract is? And I'm thinking, holy crumb. Okay, like to me, he looks like he's in his early 20s and he's asking this question, what's my soul contract? That's usually older people. But he says, no, I'd like to know what it is. So I said, well, let me ask the spirit guides and let's see what we come up with. And the very first response I hear from the spirit guides is one of his life purposes is to appreciate things. I'm thinking, hmm, did you want to tell me more about that? <laughs> I'm not certain what I'm supposed to say. Yeah. Like, what, 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 what does that mean? He's just supposed to appreciate things. I, like, I love the message. I love what that means, but I'm just going to say that to a young person? And he says, or the spirit guide said to me, well, it's important because he, he dismisses things he doesn't appreciate. Mm-hmm. And it because he dismisses so much, whether it's from nature and he just takes it for granted that it will always be there, he knows that his mom loves him, he knows that his siblings love him, but he dismisses that. He doesn't appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And I said, so what happens if he doesn't? Maybe that's a good question. What happens if he doesn't? And they said, well, actually, it is a good question because it leads us to his second purpose. And I said, okay, what is that one? It's to overcome addiction. Mm. Wow, that's a tough life. And I'm like, oh my God. So they said, and they lead. They lead into each other. Because he dismisses, he gets depressed. Because he doesn't appreciate, he doesn't connect. And because there is no connection, he looks for ways to get a buzz. He looks for ways to have 
a feeling. So he's looking for feelings. But he's shutting them down in all the healthiest ways possible. It's a good show. Yeah. Yeah. I think it explains people's desire for thrills, right? Mm-hmm. You can get addicted to mountain biking and the thrill of speed. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a drug. You can get addicted to surgery, right? And the high that you feel when you're doing a job. Oh, I that's that's beautiful. You can get addicted to mm-hmm. being needed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And if you create drama, but it, it helps the people around you tell you how much they need you and beg you for things, then it, then that's an addiction as well. Fixing. Yeah. Or well, and not even you might not even be a fixer. You might just have such a bad codependency that this person is convinced they need you. Right? Right. I think too, Kelly, fixers don't realize that they're addicts as well. So that's how I opened it when he asked that. I said, sweetie, I said your guides are and I explained it about the appreciation and that it would lead to a depression because he disconnects. And he just kind of was like you know, the the look on his face was thoughtful. He, You could actually see that he was working to think, does that resonate? Is that truthful? Good. And then he looked up at me and he said, mm-hmm. And, I, and then I explained the part to him about that it would create the depression and that's why he would look for addictions. He would look for a high in alcohol or he would look for a high or I don't know because I don't do drugs or drink, but he's looking for the feelings that you do when you do those things as a replacement to just doing it naturally. And he goes, well, that's very true. And I said, so I'm being told in past lives that you have many lifetimes with addictions and it is, they're hardcore addictions. And he goes, well, like what? And I said, like to alcohol, like two drugs. And he said, yeah, that's those are my two addictions in this life. I'm a drug addict and I'm an alcoholic. And I would put him at no more than about 20. Wow. 22. And I said, okay. I said, so I'm going to really make sure that I check in with you a lot during this session so that if you hit that you hit your max, what you can absorb, then we are going to tap out. We are not going to worry about a full hour. We're not worrying about that. We're just going to check in with you to make sure that your brain can handle it. I said, because as far as I can see, there is brain damage already. Mm. And he said, well, I want to know if I have PTSD. And I said, okay, I said, so I will check in with your guides and I will see what I can do as a medical intuitive to see if there's PTSD. And this was really cool for me because as I'm doing the journey to and doing the mere touch synesthesia to check in with the brain, yikes, my brain is not used to feeling any of these things. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying to my spirit guides, oh my word, please, let me feel what he feels so that what I say can be truthful and empathic and connect to him. But is there any way that as I'm doing that synesthetically that he can feel it? So can we somehow make sure that I'm not just doing this for nothing or just for my growth? Is there a way that we can somehow get through to him so that 
he can participate in this and feel like he's connecting. Like, like I just think that's beautiful. So I asked the guides for that. I did check-ins with him, and he did check-ins with me too. So I said to him, would you like to do check-ins together? And he goes, well, I don't know what those are. And I said, okay, that's fair. Why don't we make part of your session where you learn to grow your emotional intelligence? And he goes, I don't even know what that means. And I said, okay, let me explain emotional intelligence. So we did, or I did. And I said, then a check-in is part of emotional intelligence. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions so that you can assess yourself. And he goes, okay. He goes, so you mean like you're going to teach me to do this and then I can go out and do them on my own. So I'm going to actually like sit down in a meal with my mom and actually think, is this meal meeting my needs or, or this conversation with my mom? Am I, am I listening or am I in my head thinking? So he's got it already. Yeah. And I said, yeah. I said, that's exactly what you're going to do. We're going to give you a whole set of tools. And then I told him about Sips of Sanity. And I said, don't worry about like writing all of this down or trying to memorize it when he can't. Mm -hmm. The brain has been damaged to some degree. He can't. Oh, you know what? To be fair to that damaged brain, the average brain can't. Fair. That's fair. Yeah. And I'm saying that because some people might listen to this and be like, oh, well, I don't have that problem. You do. <laughs> you know, like so many of us do because if we're in fear, if we're in anxiety, if we're in depression, if we're oh, yeah. in anticipation, which is anxiety, if we are in any kind of abuse, right, then we're not listening very well. If we're in any kind of narcissism, you've got the same capacity in your brain as a PTSD person, mm-hmm. right? Well, and and I think that's really important here because, like you said, people can think, oh, I'm not a drug addict or an alcoholic, so I don't have that same issue as him. And you're saying, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, you do for a different reason, but the brain responds the same way. Totally. Because if you're used to running the same path from A to Z and you go the same route every single time, you're in a bad habit as much Mm -hmm. as the person who can't use the other methods Mm -hmm. or doesn't know they're there. Even though you might have an ability to go around to get from A to Z, you're not doing it. So why would you be any better? Mm-hmm. And you also have to work just as hard to break your pattern. <laughs> you also have to sit there and go, okay, I'm not going to go left out of the driveway today. I have to go right out of the driveway. And those, some of those people might think, oh, how terrible to be a drug addict or an alcoholic. And what we're saying is, oh, how terrible to be in a pattern. Yeah. Because patterns can be as hard to break as the addictions. Yep. Oh my God. How many of us have... Oh, okay. So if I'm at your place, I can't tell you the amount of times that I have gone and sat at the light instead of going right to go home because I'm so used to going to the mall. Mm. And I sit at the light and go, oh shit. And I don't even realize that I've put myself in this position because it's just the road I drive. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we went back to appreciation. And we had to chat about that for a while because he really grew up being raised with a love of nature. And somehow in his teenage years, he thought that was stupid. 
He thought that hanging out with your friends was supposed to be more important and that you're supposed to let go of nature. And I said, well, that's not true. Lots of teenagers snowboard. Lots of teenagers go hiking. Lots of teenagers do all kinds of things, dirt biking. They do all kinds of things in the bush. And he goes, oh. Camp. Yeah. Fish. Yeah. And I said, so what happened to you is, is that you met a group of people that didn't go into the bush and in order to be their friend, you had to give up the bush. And he goes, oh, yeah, I guess that's true. And I said, well, they wanted to sit inside and play video games. So in order to hang out with them and be part of the group and not have FOMO, fear of missing out, you opted out of all of those things that were healthy for you to be with the people that were unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And he goes, Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I did that. Yeah, I still do that, actually. And I said, so one of the things that you can choose to do now is to go back into the bush. And if you want to still be with those people, and he goes, "Mm, I don't want to be. Just like that, he goes, I I, I really come to see that like they're not, not the best people for me. And I said, okay, so if you've come to that decision on your own that they're not the best people for you because they're the ones that help you stay in the abuse because they drink and do drugs, then one of the first things that could be healthy for you is extrapolating yourself from that group, getting out of it, going cold turkey, but doing the cold turkey in nature and with the people who like nature. So if you want to with your own family or the people that you know do or by yourself or with a dog. And he goes, what do you mean about with a dog? And I said, well, I'm being told that you don't have one to walk. And he goes, yeah, I don't. That's why I'm asking. And I said, so you could go to a humane society or someplace and get a dog and walk all the dogs in the bush. And he goes, I never thought of that. And I said, okay, so you could do that on a regular basis, or you could do it sporadically. If they allow that, that whenever you show up, you can take a dog and go for a walk in the bush. And the dogs are going to love it, and so are you. And now you may also even connect to each of the dogs or just take the same dog every time. But what we're looking for is for you to actually enjoy something. Well, I don't know if I can enjoy anything or feel like connected to anything. I don't, I don't think I can. I need the drugs to help me feel good about that. And I said, well, I'm pretty certain out of 7 billion people on the planet, some of us had figured out that you can do it. And he started giggling. Oh, that's good. That's good humility. (laughs) He started laughing. He goes, okay, I like the way that you worded that, that there are 7 billion people and that some of them might have. He goes, so like, you're challenging my ego. And I said, damn right. I said, because yours is huge. You you think that your parent, your, your mom doesn't know anything. You think that your siblings don't. You think that the people who are actually trying to help you don't know anything. But that serves your purpose to say that the only people that know anything are the people that are not good for me. And he goes, you just put them in two groups like that and classified them? And I said, oh, yeah, I did. And he goes, well, it would be a good way of wording it because it would be very true. And he says, so you're saying that that's my ego that's doing that. And I said, I am. And he goes, well, can I be outside of my ego then? Can I argue with it? And I said, you can. 
<laughs> you certainly can. I argue with my ego frequently, <laughs> daily. I said to make sure that it's it's healthy and that the unhealthy ego in me isn't running the show. And if it is, then I can figure that out. And I said, so that's called adulting. That's called maturing. So I said, let's pause right there and do a check-in because I I feel like the guides and I might be sounding a lot like a mother <laughs> parenting you. And I said, and you have an aversion to being parented, to being told anything. I said, you are so in your ego that you think nobody knows as much as you or could never be as right as you. And I said, so this could be challenging for you to even listen to me or to the spirit guides. And he goes, do you mean to say that I think I'm better than all of the spirit guides? <laughs> yeah. And I said, I do. That's how much you're not fitting through a doorway. Yes. He goes, well, and he kind of hangs his head, but it's like he's got yeah. a smile and he goes, well, Jesus, Karen, you're talking about a fucking massive ego. And I said, oh, yes, honey, we are. <laughs> It, it's as big as they can come. Mm-hmm. He goes, well, you're making it sound like I probably couldn't even get my own head up off the floor. I said, I'm surprised you can. S- then everything changes. So we have we have moments in the session that are, I say, where there's some level of awareness that he comes to mm-hmm. and that he wants to. And then he can do what he wants with it when the session is over, Right. And then the guides move into a different area and say to him, another soul contract is for you and your father. And he he doesn't really move much. He doesn't really flinch. I can't really read anything off of his look or anything, and that's good. I'm happy not to. And he says, "Uh, you, you can go on. And I said, well, I'm being told that your dad is an alcoholic and a drug addict as well. And he goes, yeah. And I said, and I'm being told that the only ego bigger than yours would be his. And he goes, okay. And I said, unfortunately, you have decided to pick on your father and want to go at him and try and fix him and avoid all of your own issues that are identical to his. And he goes, yeah, I'm always really mad at my dad, and I'm always trying to say that he's better than this, and I see these things in him, and you can see he's starting to move, and like now you really see emotion, but the emotions are all frustration, anger, and so on. And I said, well, you both avoid and you both deflect. And he says, I don't know what deflect means. And I said, well, it means like to divert the attention, like you're going to move the attention onto something else so that we don't have to deal with our own issues. So if you keep trying to make everything about your dad and his issues, you don't have to deal with your own. But your dad does the very same thing. So when you get together, it's a fight because you want your father to change and he wants you to change. And he goes, totally true. And I said, right to the point where it comes close to having a physical confrontation. It's not there, but it's really close. And he says, yep. He says that that would be totally accurate because I want to shake him. I want to punch him in the face. I want him. And he's describing all of the physical things that he wants to do. And I said, but underneath all of that, you just want him to see who he is, right? Is it? Like that you want to punch, kick him, kill him, strangle him, hang him. Like you, you want, you're doing, you're thinking all of these things violently, 
but underneath it, if you just kind of get to the bottom sentence, it's that you just want him to be your dad and you just want him to be healthy and you want to know who he is because he likes nature too. He likes fishing. He likes, and you know these things about him. So you just want that part. And he goes, yes. Still got some work to do. And I said, so under all of the anger that drives you to shut down your feelings is sadness. You miss your dad. And he looks at me and he goes, I'm uncomfortable. Good for him. And I said, that's okay. I said, do you want to do a check-in? No, you're doing it. He says, you're, you're doing the check-in. I get what you're doing. And I said, so can we talk about the fact that you're grieving your dad, but instead of grieving that, you're just sitting in all of the anger, and the anger allows you, if you just stay focused there, to hurt him and to hurt yourself. And he goes, oh, well, why would I hurt myself? And I said, because you want to hurt your dad and you can't. And I said, but remember, you don't really want to hurt him. You actually want to love him. So maybe you actually want to love yourself. And if you actually got calmer and all nice and clean or whatever that means, where you could enjoy nature. And I said, you play guitar. And he goes, I do. And I said, so does your dad. And he goes, yeah. I said, then instead of yelling at him that you want to play guitar, why don't you just play guitar? I said, instead, you you scream things at each other instead of just sitting down and playing it and letting him go get his guitar and join you or walk out if he can't because maybe he's so sad. I said, maybe, maybe you're going to realize that under all of what your dad is going through is that he's sad that you're modeling him. He's sad that he's modeling his dad. He's sad that he can't change. And so he's staying in his anger, you're staying in your anger, and you have checkmate. We just had a pause. We just have a pause. Because at that point, the guides are just like, okay, you've done a good job. Just give it a break. Just let him breathe. And I'm thinking, him breathe. I need to breathe too. (laughs) We both need a breath. This is hard. So we did another check-in. And then he said, just continue, just do what you got to do. He goes, I'm, I'm, I am appreciating this. And I said, they want you back in rehab. And I said, but the guide said, this time go because you want to. Go because it's the right thing to do because you want it. N- not because it's the only thing to do or because you're trying to please your mom or your sisters or your brothers. Go because the people that are there actually want to be there for people who walk through the door and they know the difference between the ones that want to be there and the ones that are forced to be there. So the ones that are forced, they might be able to get through to them. They might not. It's a 50-50. The ones that want to be there, it's a whole other level of working with them. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, when you want to be there, the people that are there can share more of themselves, more of what they can actually teach you. More of what they know will work. Mm -hmm. 
they have more tools to share with you than if you arrive and they see that you're shut down and you were forced there, that you're reluctant. They, they can't give you the same set of tools or they can't give you as many. They might be able to only provide you with one when they have a whole toolkit. And I said, so when you go back, go back really with the intention of that you want all the tools or at least you want to work through the ones that they can give you as hard as you can that you want to get there and you want to know everything that they know because they have so much experience and so much knowledge and they must have seen some success. So trust that they know how to do this for you and that you need to follow and let them lead. I really liked Kelly how the guides explained to him that this staff here at this rehab that he can go to which he has explained he's been to one and he would like to go back to the same one, are empathic. Hmm. And that they can help him understand what it is to, to connect again. And he goes, what's empathic mean? And I said, it, it means to connect. It means to feel. I said, it's what you're looking for when you're high or, when you're, when you're, or what you're trying to avoid sometimes. Mm-hmm. He goes, you mean... I could want it, but also be avoiding it. And I said, yes. Oh, that's why we get into sexual relationships that mean nothing, right? We're looking to connect, but we're avoiding connecting. That's a brilliant statement. And I say that because when I say brilliant, I choose that word purposely, Kelly, because it means to shine light. Mm -hmm. And you're shining light on something when you make that. Yeah. We are we want something but we're afraid of it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I I love to pause so that people can listen to that and really, really absorb it. The next thing they told him was to pick a mentor. And he said, I, I wouldn't even know where to find one and I actually don't know what a mentor is. <laughs> Which would explain why you can't find one. <laughs> And I said, okay, that's really, that's funny. And I said, I love his honesty though. Me? I'm really loving this character. Oh, me too. And I said, okay, I said, a mentor is somebody who can guide you and hold you accountable. And he goes, hold me accountable? And I said, yes, you have to respect them and pick them so that they hold you accountable. And that, that's important because when you have an addiction, you often don't want to be held accountable to absolutely anybody, but so much so that you could become suicidal if you're never held accountable to anyone. Because ultimately, there's despair in that. There's a feeling of not being connected. And I said, and that's the other thing about a mentor is that they value connection. People don't choose to be mentors if they don't know how to connect. Unless, of course, you're a narcissist. Mm-hmm. And some narcissists choose to be mentors because it gives them a feeling of power. It gives them control over another person, which is right up their alley. But we want him to pick a mentor that is going to be healthy for him. And the way that he could discern that was to actually see if the mentor tries to connect to him emotionally. 
Going on from that, the guides then suggested that he chart things. And I said, what do you want him to chart? And they said, well, why don't we get him to chart his six senses every day? So I said to him, do you want to chart your senses? And he goes, I just don't even know what that even means. And I said, well, let's get an Excel spreadsheet. Let's sit down and let's put the six senses in it. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And let's have you go through each day where you actually, did I give all the days of the week? Are I've you laughing? I've never heard someone start a week with Saturday. <laughs> yeah, I'm laughing. Maybe we should. <laughs> go on. According to Karen. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we, actually, that is so true. Okay. So anyway, so we, we went through and we created a chart for him during the session and I ended up emailing it to him at the end. And we went through the chart system together with setting the intention of checking in each day as he's going through the day and coming back to the chart to say, am I actually connecting? Am I actually listening? Am I actually seeing this person? Am I actually tasting my food? Mm-hmm. And so on, right? So through all six of them so that he could recognize, well, I'm disconnecting even from enjoying my food. I eat it so fast, I don't taste it. Just had this conversation with a life coaching coach or a life coaching client. And she was like, what do you mean connect to my food? I was like, oh, okay. Okay. It's, it's interesting, like how yeah. rudimentary things are, but we're so outside of that as a society. I'm not picking on this one gentleman or this client. Mm-hmm. And that when we're hearing music, when he's playing guitar, is he really feeling, feeling, because he really strumming? Mm-hmm. Does there, is there a real connection to the brain as his fingers are moving? Mm-hmm. Does he feel the chords? Does he feel the music in the room? Does he feel it in his heart? Does it really make his mind happy? Does it create an emotion? What does it do? And he goes, I think I know what you're doing. You're trying to recreate some of my brain pathways. Yeah. And I said, yes. That is exactly what we're doing. That is exactly why. Mm-hmm. I think we, about perfectionists when we're talking about this show, because when you're talking about strumming and feeling a connection to the vibration, a connection to the guitar itself, a connection to the music, a perfectionist would sit there and want to hear the exact right note and to just just get it perfect in terms of what they hear, right? Oh, Yeah not understanding that you need to connect to the spaces between the fingers. You need to connect to the levels where the fingers are. Someone's laughing at me because this is not a guitar chord, but um, those are all feelings that have to be involved. And so you're talking about connection instead of just perfection. And an addict might not even connect to the idea of perfection, but a perfectionist will. Mm. Hmm. I like that. Right? And I think that concept can devastate them right there to think, oh my God, I'm not even feeling anymore. Mm. Right? Yeah. We think we're great or we look at perfectionists and think, oh, they must be, you know, cruising through life here, but they've connect, they've disconnected from feelings in order to be perfect. Right. So then you could be the best guitar player in the world and be depressed. And feel nothing. And feel nothing. And that is why they suicide. Mm-hmm. Isn't this... A wonderful conversation mm-hmm. for people to understand each other or to pull something out of this and maybe even keep going down the rabbit hole, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so they talked about the fact that he has some unwanted intrusive thoughts. 
And I said, now you can do some research on that. You can go listen to some podcasts, do whatever you want to do to educate yourself. But you do have thoughts that just repeat, that are just negative. And when they keep repeating and you just keep listening to them, that's when you want a break from your own thinking. So you think, I need a drink. Because that's the break from the abuse of self-thoughts. And he goes, hmm. And, and I said, well, why don't we just sit and let you think about that and I'll listen to the guides. And he's like, really? I said, yeah, you do your shit and I'll do my shit. So he sat there and I would say maybe about five or seven minutes later, he goes, okay, I, I'm good. I said, okay, I'm good too. Let's get back into the conversation. I said, what did you learn or what did you do over there? And he goes, well, he goes, I really got to thinking about what you said about that. And I've got, I, I figured out some homework I want to do on that. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really neat. He said, so you're telling me that I just have some thoughts that just keep repeating that are just lies. And I said, yeah. Mm-hmm. He goes, and I was thinking of some. And then I got thinking of more. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. And he goes, and then, and then, oh, and then I thought, oh, where did I get that thought? And then I could think, oh, yeah, my dad said that. Oh, yeah, my mom said that. And then I thought, yeah, but just because they said it, does it make it true? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you are doing so well. And he goes, yeah, but why am I doing well just because I'm sitting here talking to you about it? Why don't, why don't I think like this on my own? And I said, oh, no, 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 no. You don't think like this on your own, honey. You think like this because of the shitty people you hang around. Mm-hmm. And they, the conditioning. They talk to you like this. This is reinforced from the other people in your social group. If you actually hang around your mother now, you'll see she's changed. You'll see your sisters have changed. You'll see they're all trying. And he goes, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pay attention to that. And he says, so do you mean that when I have these repetitive thoughts that I can recognize that that's all they are and that I don't actually need the drink? Mm-hmm. And I said, that's correct. There's a really great book out there called The Naked Brain. And it's something like if you're listening to the show or you're watching the show and you're thinking, oh, shit, that's me or someone in your life that you know of, you are hopefully making the connection that each time you have a thought that is of discomfort Mm -hmm. or negativity, meaning the day sucked, um, this client was hard, work was difficult, I worked too much, I worked too much all week. We condition ourselves to think, I need a drink to relieve any of these things. I need food. Yeah. I want I want to focus, though, on the addiction that's unacceptable, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's unacceptable by a society's standards, right? You're more likely to get shamed for being an alcoholic than you are for overeating. Really? Well, overeating doesn't get you fired. Hmm. This is a different debate. What I wanted to go into is... We're conditioned by a society of advertisements Hmm. that teach you when the week has been too long, drink. When the day has been too long, drink. When something has sucked, drink. When you go on vacation to get away from life, drink. When you're happy, drink. Yeah. And so we never actually have time to just sit with the uncomfortable thought and decide where we want to go from there. We go right to the drink. Kelly, that's totally true. And, and even to the point of the good stuff, mm-hmm. that when you're happy, drink. When you're with your friends, drink. Yeah. When you want to celebrate, drink. 
Mm-hmm. So they condition you with those unwanted intrusive thoughts through marketing mm-hmm. for the beer and liquor companies that whatever's happening in life, drink. Yeah. They really have capitalized, they being marketing companies, mm-hmm. have capitalized on a sticky brain. And I mean, that's why jingles were created, right? They are supposed to get stuck in your head. Mm-hmm. I can still sing jingles from the 90s. Right. And now it's not so much the jingle anymore. It's just, it's the visual too. So if yeah. you, if you have um, a, a social event, there should be alcohol at it or something's not quite right. Mm-hmm. It's not as fun. Yeah. In order to up the fun meter, you have to add alcohol to it. Mm-hmm. And and that's terrible because we don't see add nature and the meter goes yeah. up. We, we don't, don't, we don't get given these options. In fact, they get taken away from us because mm-hmm. one gets shoved down our throat, mm-hmm. right? Unless you are determined to stay conscious and question those things. Well, the beer companies really keep therapists in their jobs then. Oh, yeah. And, and alcohol companies because mm-hmm. it pushes people to the therapy afterwards once they've got a problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, and I'm bringing that up as a resource because if you're listening to the show and you're going, well, I'm the one with the sticky brain and I'm the one with the addiction then this may be a place that you can go to just have those things explained to you so mm-hmm. that you can decide what you want to do going forward. Mm-hmm. Well, the, and the guides asked him to compare his highs, to compare the high of feeling love for his sister or, or being with her versus the high of when he's on drugs. Mm-hmm. And he says to me, oh, there's nothing that can compare to the high of being on drugs. And I said, well, what if your sister were to die today? And he goes... Oh, I said, that's what they were meaning at the very beginning about the fact that you have things in your life and you dismiss the value. And he goes, I never thought of it that way. And I said, so he goes, well, don't say anything. I think I need to think about that. He goes, you kept saying that I dismiss things and I I understood it. But when you just gave me that example, it was like, I really didn't get it. I needed to hear it again. Don't we all? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We all need to hear some of these messages again, eh? Mm, especially because we're being governed under rules that dismiss the things that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So I think the last thing I might say in this show about this particular session was the guides told him to do everything the opposite. Oh, <laughs> just, just be not you. Yeah. <laughs> we both laughed. And he goes... Hmm. And I said, so when you think your mother knows nothing, maybe she knows everything. No, maybe not. Maybe she knows something. Maybe she knows something. But if you don't swing it the opposite way and you only think she knows nothing, then you're never listening to her. You don't see her. You don't value her. Mm -hmm. So when you say that you need the alcohol or the drugs to have a feeling of connection, it's a lie. You purposely, by not using your senses, create that situation. Mm-hmm. Can I say something too? Because mm-hmm. I think like he could, he could go visit his mom. He could have an hour long visit and talk about his life and her life and what's new and catch up. Let's say, and walk away from it thinking, "Well, I didn't feel high, right?" But, and that that's that's true. That can be true. But if you walk away from it and you're starting to do reflections to ask yourself, "Did I feel heard?" Did I feel like my mom saw me today? That can be the beginning of retraining your brain to have a different kind of high. 
mm-hmm. right? Which we can get to the point of going, that was a really nice visit. Really enjoyed her company. And then weeks later, or even days later, however long it takes you, I'm really looking forward to visiting my mom today. I can't wait that each week or each month I get to visit my mom. If I can't make it in person today, I'd really like to call her and at least connect that way, right? Well, this is the check-in with the six senses. Mm-hmm. You're describing it perfectly about being seen, valued, heard, like all plus the senses. Yeah. And what I'm saying is it can happen after the fact, and that's mm-hmm. okay. That doesn't mean you failed. Mm-hmm. You can decide later that you feel differently about something. Mm-hmm. I've said that to people mm-hmm. in really shitty situations where they're like, oh, no, no, everything's fine, especially in a management position. And I'll say, if you get home, and you're thinking about what just happened, and you realize that you feel differently than what you're telling me now, mm-hmm. call and I will hear you. Like that's, that's still important for them to be able to go through that process and decide what they feel afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I said that was the last point, and there's one more. Uh, okay. <laughs> and I, I really don't want to miss this. They told him to eat well. And that his body and his brain had been suffering with the alcohol and the drug addictions because he's actually craving or eating foods that don't actually feed the brain, that don't actually go through the digestive system properly. Very cool. Mm -hmm. And he, from his culture, totally understood that Hmm. Um, and didn't argue with it. He just flat out said, that's true. I totally get this. And, I, and he goes, and I know better. He says, I was raised better to eat better. Not my dad, but absolutely my mom is really good at always eating well, exercising, drinking well, hydrating, noticing. And I said, you could chart it. I said, if you wanted to do another chart like your senses and you want to get back on track. And I said, and the chart might help you in the sense of that when you're off track and say you hang around those people on the weekend and so you have two bad days then maybe Monday morning is when you get back on a good track. And he goes, well, what if I'm back off it again on Friday? Why bother? And I said, for five days, you bother. For five out of seven, you bother. Mm -hmm. So then he goes, oh, okay, well, if you word it that way. Well, and this is the thing that I was saying. If you decide afterwards, I like how that visit went. And I can't Mm -hmm. wait to do that next week. You might decide that if she says, let's see you on a Saturday, let's do our visit on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. He might think, I don't want to be fucked up on a Saturday. So I'm going to bother for six days this week. And I'm actually really looking forward to going for that hike with that dog that I rescued from that shelter. (laughs) So you know what? Let's just, we'll do it all seven days this week. And if I feel like I want to do the drugs next week, maybe I'll do it on Tuesday. But that's crowding in. That's right. right. The more you look forward to the things that you enjoy naturally you sort of crowd out the shitty things that you don't want to have in your life anymore. And the same thing with what you're saying, Kelly, I'm just agreeing again. Actions, thoughts, foods, everything. Bingo. People, you crowd, like you said, you crowd in the, the good people that are going to support you and you start by all that crowding in, you don't have as much time for the other people. Yeah. And that's when you notice that the emotions change, the connections change, and then you start changing. It's momentum. Yeah. Lovely. Good for you. Oh, thank you. I always think it's, it's, it's good for me that I listened. And it's good for me that I um, said the messages word for word. Mm-hmm. And that good for me in that I hope 
that I feel everything that the spirit guides want to put into my body and that it just literally oozes out of me so that he feels it in the conversation. He feels it in the connection. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm feeling connected to my dog upstairs who's barked for the third time. Oh, so we're going to end the show. <laughs> okay. Are you good? I'm totally good. Okay. I'm excited for him. Yeah, me too. This like, you know, sometimes you don't you don't care if a client calls back or not, like yeah. and then you have that that one once in a while and I really hope this one calls back. Yeah. I'd love to hear how he's doing. Cool. Okay. Okay. So if you have questions or comments about today's show, you can email us at info at com. The three of us are saying goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>